Well, I have the privilege of uh, introducing our preacher today, and Liz already prayed for her this morning, and most of you know her. It's our friend Nancy Frick. Um, Nancy wears many hats. She's a wife to Charlie, and, and they have a great family. She's a member at Second Presbyterian Church, where she's been a deacon and head of stewardship at Second Pres. She's a seminary student at Christian Theological Seminary here in Indianapolis. She's a night school student. And get this, she's got a full-time job as the Director of Foundation Advancement at St. Vincent's Hospital. So in addition to that, she interns with us, and she uh, blesses us by being here on Sundays. Uh, But one of the neatest things that I've seen Nancy do is make hospital visits, especially um, at St. Vincent's where she works and some of the rehabilitation centers around there. And when she makes those visits, I hear that she makes those with great compassion and care. I think she really has the heart of a pastor, and she's got a great sermon today. So let's welcome our friend Nancy Frick. Nancy, come on up. Let us open in prayer. Living God, help us to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing that we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Anyone who doesn't already have a healthy respect for the power of the sea should read Laura Hillebrand's novel, Unbroken. It tells the true story of 26-year-old Louis Zamperini, a bombardier in the Army Air Corps in World War II, whose plane was shot down in the Pacific Ocean in June of 1943. Prior to his enlistment, Louis had been an Olympic distance runner and was considered one of the greatest runners in the world, the darling of the American athletes. He was expected to be the first to break the four-minute mile. Running had been his saving grace, from a troubled boyhood of pulling pranks and stealing. It gave him a purpose and something at which he could excel. Louis' survival at sea for 43 days on a flimsy life raft without supplies of food or water is a testament to his inner strength and ingenuity. Of the three crewmen who survived the crash, only two made it through their ordeal of starvation, thirst, blistering heat by day, freezing temperatures at night, and relentless shark attacks. They were buffeted by terrible storms and even strafed by bullets from a Japanese fighter pilot. When they finally landed on an island six weeks later after being shot down, they were emaciated and covered with sores and deep in Japanese enemy territory. Zamperini was imprisoned and endured more than two years of beatings, torture, unspeakable cruelty at the hands of his Japanese captors. Louis' story illustrates the power and chaos of the sea that created the fear we see in the disciples in our scripture lesson this morning, the story of Jesus walking on the sea, or the lake, depending on the translation. Adding to the disciples' fear, the ancient Greeks had many superstitions about the sea, which they thought was a being which could engulf people with waves and swallow them. Persons who were drowned to have believed to have lived in the sea as ghosts. Today's lesson in our uh, series, God With Us, appears in the middle of the book of Matthew, right after the feeding of the 5,000. 
You can follow along reading Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 34 in your Bibles, or read the words on the screen. Scholars tell us that what falls in the middle of a text or book like this passage does in Matthew is a signal of its importance and that we should pay attention. So let's do and listen for God's word. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was fearful, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed in in Gennesaret. This is the word of the Lord. The book of Matthew was written for Matthew's Christian community a long time ago, so it's helpful for us to know a little bit about them to fully understand the meaning of this passage. Matthew's church is thought to have been composed of mostly Jewish Christians. Scholars believe that members had recently been separated from the synagogue for their beliefs about Jesus and were now being ostracized and persecuted by the Jewish leaders. The city of Antioch, where they lived, was a wealthy trade center of the ancient world and was known to have had a large Jewish population. Matthew's community was very small by comparison and was surrounded by Greek temples, Greek culture, and Greek traditions. It's very likely that Matthew's church members may have been respected in Antioch at one time, and certainly in the temple. But now they were being ostracized and losing their community stature and friends. In other words, it was getting kind of hard to be a Christian in the culture, so fears and doubts arose among the members. Who was Jesus? Matthew's church was feeling as battered and afraid as the disciples in the boat on the sea of the ancient Greek world. Matthew writes to assure his community of Jesus' saving presence, to bolster their faith, and remind them that God was with them. He wants them to understand the true identity of Jesus and to encourage them to be faithful. They, like the disciples in Matthew, were waffling in their faith. From day to day, they alternately believed and didn't believe, as the waves of the world, so different from the ways of Jesus' teachings, swirled and crashed around them. Now, right before this passage, we see that Jesus' fame has spread, that he is frequently surrounded by huge crowds. He is apparently tired and needs to be alone after the feeding miracle. And so he sends the disciples ahead of him across the Sea of Galilee and goes up on a mountain to pray. 
Up until this point, Matthew has shown that many people, not just Matthew's church, have questions about Jesus' identity. For example, the disciples in Matthew chapter 8 ask, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. The crowds that follow Jesus and see his miracles think he is a magician and ask if he could be the son of David. Jesus' hometown's synagogue, his friends, are totally confused. Is he not just the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Where did he get all that knowledge anyway? He certainly didn't get it from around here. And even King Herod wonders, is Jesus John the Baptist reincarnated? And today, people are still asking questions about Jesus, aren't they? Confused about who he is. Some think he was a great prophet, and a wise man perhaps. Matthew is leading his readers to understand that Jesus is none of those things. Jesus is God with us. The Sea of Galilee, where the drama unfolds, is 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by 1,200 to 1,500 foot mountains. This unusual dynamic creates temperature shifts that result in sudden and violent storms. The violence of these storms was well known to the disciples who were experienced fishermen. This storm must have been exceptionally bad because the disciples are really scared. Even though they had pushed off before sundown, they had not reached the shore yet, and it was now the fourth watch, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. They are frightened for their lives, and no doubt tired of fight, fighting to keep the boat from sinking. The disciples had seen Jesus calm the winds earlier in chapter 8, so they knew that if Jesus had been with them, they would be safe. But he was not. Imagine their fear when they see a strange and frightening sight out on the water. Sometimes fear makes us see things differently, causes our imagination to run wild, uh, and makes our faith give way to superstition. The storm would have prevented the disciples from seeing clearly, so they assume from what they've, that what they've seen that they're seeing is a ghost, one of the dead who had been swallowed by the sea. They're terrified. But when the figure gets closer, they see that it is Jesus, much to their relief, who tells them to take courage. And then Jesus says something that Matthew's Jewish Christian community would have found to be quite electrifying. Remember now we're at the heart of this story in Matthew, which means that this message is particularly important for Matthew. His listeners would have been in great anticipation by this time. Jesus says these words, which clarify for the disciples and for all the others who have wondered about Jesus' identity, just who he is. He says, I am, it is I, which is ego ami in Greek. Every Jewish listener in Matthew's church would have understood the meaning of that statement because they'd heard it before. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses meets God in the burning bush when Moses says, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, Well, what's his name? God says, Ego ami, I am. Now we know who Jesus is, so the power of this statement in Matthew's church is kind of lost on us. But Matthew makes it clear here. 
There can be no mistake about who Jesus is. Jesus is like God. Jesus is God. But do the disciples get it? You'd think so. They've been with Jesus. They've worked beside him when he performed miracles. They've seen him heal and calm the storm. And now they have even seen the amazing sight of Jesus walking on top of the lake. But now Matthew does something interesting. He inserts a story about the disciple Peter. We know a little bit about Peter, don't we? At times he's a little overconfident and eager. At other times, like at Jesus' trial, he is frail and even denies knowing Jesus. But we know that ultimately Peter is faithful, even though in this story he is not yet the rock that he would become. I think Peter was a little like the people in Matthew's church, and like many of us today, perhaps. Matthew wants his congregation and us to be inspired, even though we sometimes have great faith and other times not, like Peter, Jesus is still there to rescue us despite our questions and lack of faith. When Peter sees Jesus walking on the sea, he wants to be like Jesus, and so he asks if he can do it too. He's ready to jump out of the boat and into a storm for Jesus. But note that when Peter starts worrying about what's going on around him and takes his focus off Jesus, his fear of the wind and the storm take over. Lord, save me. And he starts to drown. But Jesus saves him, and as he does, as just as we do when, when we're overcome by fear. As God rescued David from the water in Psalm 18, Jesus now rescues Peter from the sea. When they climb back into the boat, the sea becomes quiet. Who is this man who can calm the seas and winds, conquering their power? The Hebrews believe that only the one who had created the seas could conquer them. God, I am. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, God hovers over the waters at creation. And in verses 9 and 10, God commands the water to be gathered in one place and names them seas. Jesus walking on and calming the sea could be understood in only one way. Who is this Jesus? Emmanuel, God with us. So what does such a fascinating but really kind of strange story like this have to do with us today? I know that I personally take a lot of comfort in the character of Peter. One writer describes Peter the poster child of faith to little faith. I think I'm like that too. Perhaps many of us are a little like that, or even a lot like Peter. We want to be followers, jumping out of the boat with enthusiasm for Jesus, but our good intentions too often distract us, or we become afraid to take a step. Or maybe we're also a little like the other disciples, who are pretty comfortable with each other hanging out in the boat. No sea walks for those guys. But Matthew shows us in his community that it's okay to have doubts. Faith is a mixture of courage and fear, of trust and doubt. It's part of being a follower, something all of us experience. When our faith compels us out of the boat, but then we cry out because we look around and are afraid, Jesus is with us and has power over our doubts and fears just as he has over the sea. 
And we will, from time to time, feel like our boat is in the middle of life's storms. We're surrounded by a sea of materialism and a world that is focused on the self, celebrates the wrong things and the wrong people, ignores injustice, and sometimes is even evil. We encounter serious illness, chaos, political unrest, and monstrous inhumanity in the sea of life. A few years ago, I began to hear Jesus calling me out of my pretty comfortable boat. I began to wrestle in my heart and mind with the call to attend seminary. And for several years, I tried to ignore that voice. Really, God? (laughs) Are you sure? At my age and at this time in my career? I had a thousand excuses. It seemed such an outrageous request, and so I resisted. But that voice would not cease, and so eventually I began to embrace that idea. I stepped out of the boat like Peter, with enthusiasm at first, perhaps a little naive about the stormy seas that I would encounter at times. It hasn't always been easy. Adding studying and classes to an already busy schedule is challenging. I could not do it without holding on to the one who encouraged me to step out of the boat in the first place. Many days I hear Jesus calling me to go out a little further on the water, presenting a paper, providing some counseling, delivering a sermon, (laughs) things that are way out of my comfort zone, to trust in him and not myself, assuring me that he will be with me when I'm focused on him. Even now I struggle with my response. Will I have faith or will I stay safe in the boat and cave in to my doubts and fears. Louis Zamperini was not a man of faith during his experience at sea or during the time he was in the Japanese prison camp. He depended on his own strength of character, his streak of defiance, and his intelligence and wit to survive. But at the end of the war, when he was freed, he really remained in prison by the storms of his nightmares, anger and rage. To escape his pain, he turned to alcohol and became an alcoholic. He could not forget or forgive on his own strength. It was only after his wife, Cynthia, dragged him to a tent rally for Billy Graham in 1950 that he was finally rescued. On the second night at the rally that he attended, he wrestled with his inner demons. He felt the world pressing in on him. And as Graham asked the crowd to bow their heads and close their eyes, he had had enough. Pushing past the people sitting in his row, he charged for the exit. But then Helen Brand describes the amazing moment that everything changed for Louis. As he reached the aisle, he stopped. Cynthia, the rows of bowed heads, the sawdust underfoot, the tent around him, all disappeared. A memory long beaten back, the memory from which he had run the evening before, was upon him. If you will save me, I will serve you forever. He'd forgotten that promise, and the feeling of peace he'd had looking up at the beauty of the night sky, adrift in the sea, awed by something greater than himself, forgetting for a moment his desperate state. Instead of leaving, Louis turned toward Graham and began walking. This is it, said Graham. God has spoken to you. You come on. Louis had left the boat for good. 
Samparini returned home and completely changed his life. He poured all the alcohol in the house down the sink. His nightmares left him, and instead he found profound peace. In a single moment, silent rage, his rage, his fear, his humiliation, and his helplessness had fallen away. That morning, he believed he was a new creation, writes Hillebrand. We can believe that, too. Rather than living with his fears and pain, trying to weather the seas on his own, Louis stepped out of the boat and turned his life over to Jesus. He even returned to Japan and forgave his POW camp guards who had been so cruel to him. He founded a nonprofit called Victory Camp for Boys. The camp took in even the most incorrigible young men, and the ones considered as lost as Louis once had been. He became their coach, their mentor, and their inspiration. With a joyful spirit and his natural energy for life, he traveled the world telling his story until late in his life. Louis took the hand of Jesus and was a new creation indeed. We may never experience anything like Louis did, thank goodness, but nevertheless, we are all in the boat of life with its uncertain waters and storms that surround us, a diagnosis we never expected to hear, divorce, children in trouble, death of someone we love, financial problems. It's called life. Where is Jesus speaking into your life, calling your name to get out of the boat? Is it to get involved in a mission project? To develop churches in the darkness of prisons? To serve those who are poor and broken? To forgive someone for the unforgivable? Will it cost you something? Will it be difficult? Will people even think you're crazy? Yes, yes, and perhaps. It's all those things, yes, but so much more. So I ask you today, will you go walking on the sea of life with Jesus, reaching out to him when you need strength, or will you stay in your boat? You and I, like Louis, have a choice to make. Who will you trust? Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Gracious God, there are so many times when we shut out your voice, when we can't hear you amidst the storms of our lives. Renew in our hearts and minds the desire to hear your quiet voice and the ability to discern your will for our lives. Inspire in us the vision to see your world as you'd like it to be and the part we can play in that great transformation. For each one of us has been uniquely equipped to serve you. We don't lack the desire, but we need your courage and strength to get out of the boat. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guide and hold our hands. Amen.